Welcome to The Road Back to You. Looking at life through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Ian Cron. And I'm Suzanne Stabile. And we are glad that you're here. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Road Back to You. We're delighted that you're here and giving your time to Suzanne and I today to hear more about the Enneagram and seeing life through the lens of this remarkable tool. Suzanne Stabile, my pal. How are you, girl? I'm really good. It's a beautiful day outside. Mm -hmm. Nashville, the color's pretty. You know, I'm from Texas where the color is lacking. It's khaki. Yeah, a lot of khaki. A lot of khaki. It's like, you know, fall is khaki, winter's khaki, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've got a great guest on today. We sure do. I, I'm not sure how long I've known Patrick, but boy, do I like him. Mm. Yeah. Patrick is an eight on the Enneagram. Did you feel the energy and the intensity of his presence when he came in the room? That, that, that you know, that kind of larger than life thing that eights have? Yeah, no, he's just kind of like a close friend to me. I, I feel protected when he enters the room. Well, that would be an eight thing too. Exactly. Right? right. Patrick, Welcome. Thank you. We're glad you're here. You're a fellow uh, native resident to me here in in Nashville, the Nashville Franklin area. That's right. And you're at Otter Creek Church where you are the pastor, or uh, I should say the, yeah, I guess the pastor, right, of college and and, uh, and young adults. Yeah, And uh, how long have you been at Otter Creek? And just tell us about yourself a little bit. Yeah, well, uh, I've been at Otter Creek for about five years now. So I've been doing that for about five years. Before I was uh, a pastor at Otter Creek, I worked at Lipscomb University uh-huh. in the undergrad admissions recruiting area. And that was a lot of fun. Did that for several years, traveling all over the country, talking about Lipscomb. And then I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, mm. and I was born in Birmingham, Alabama. So two really neat cities. You're yeah. just such a Southern man, aren't you? It's weird. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel weird when you go north? Uh, not too weird because my father lives in Chicago. Oh, there you go. And so uh, there's this kind of Midwest kind of feel. That yeah, you don't have a thick Southern mm-mm. thing going on accent-wise or anything? No, not t- not too much. Sometimes it'll slip out and, and that'll be fine. But uh, for the most part, and I was a communications major, so ah. oral communications, public relations, so... I'm able to mask the Southern accent. I don't because I love the the <laughs> cadence and the, the 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 beautiful. I mean, I'm from Connecticut, mm-hmm. Southern Connecticut. Although Suzanne tells me that doesn't count. Um, <laughs> and and I actually came, when I came to the South, I just fell in love with the sound and the oh, yeah. lilt and the lyricism and the of the of the Southern voice. Um, you're an eight. We have eight children. I'm mean, not literally eight children. We have children who are eight. So I do that every single time, and yeah. then you just think, but I'm bumped. So anyhow, you're an eight on the Enneagram. That's right. In our book, we call them the challengers. Oh, yeah. Their uh, passion is a lust, which is not necessarily about sex as much as it is about intensity. Yes. And... Um, you know, your need is to uh, be strong, to, to uh, hide or protect vulnerable, mm-hmm. tender uh, feelings and, and, and innocence. Um, just trying to help our, our, yeah. our friends out there who may not be familiar with the eight. Um, you tell us more about what it's like to be an eight. Oh, 
man, it's, you know, first off, when you discover your number, when you enter into that journey, it is amazing Mm. what happens after. You know, it's amazing when you look back at your life and you're able to say, yes, yes, yes. And then as you move forward, there's, it's just a beautiful way to move forward and understanding this is why I feel the way that I feel in my body. Mm-hmm. This is why I'm reacting to the things that I'm reacting to. And as has been said in, in the work that you two have done, you're able to snap back into uh, your true self, which is, which is beautiful. And for me, an eight has been, uh, I love it. And it's, it's so revealing to me. And, and of course, like as when people get taught the numbers and, uh, eight, the eight folks in the room, like really dig that they're an eight because right. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a cool number to be. Cause I love, I'm very passionate about people. Mm. And that passion for people is to, uh, in some way, protect them and stand up for them Mm -hmm. and be in their corner and fight for the underdog. Um, And I think part of that is because of my upbringing and what my story looks like. Um, And I can get into that. Um, Why don't you? Yeah, I want to. I want to say one thing before you do, though. Okay. The the day I taught know your number to the church staff that you're on, we went to lunch and we were at the same table at lunchtime with some other folks on the staff, and you got up to go get a fork or a napkin or something, and your number had already been taught, so everybody at the table already knew that you were an eight, and it was like (laughs) that was a way that they could kind of wrap their head around who you are. And um, a guy that we both like, Rubio, who was who was there and is on staff there, as you walked over to get the fork, he turned to me and said, I so get him now. Yeah. And I think so many people respond to learning about AIDS by thinking or saying out loud, I so get her now, or I so get him now. And I... I find that to be intriguing because I think you're one of the easiest numbers to see clearly because you don't you don't worry enough about what other people think to have to put on airs in any way. So my point is to say this. When somebody says they get you, it has nothing to do with any change in you and everything to do with that one little turn that comes when you learn the Enneagram. Because like for for an eight. We're not trying to control others. We just want people to control us. That's right. We and don't want people to we control don't, us. Right. We don't want people to control us. And at the same time, um, people often confuse. I still get this. They get intimidated by an eight mm-hmm. and how an eight kind of is being in the world. And we're not at all trying to be intimidating or offensive or in, in that way. Like we're just, that's just... We're passionate people, and we communicate in a passionate way, and we talk about even the smallest things, like a TV show, like what I love, the shows and the music, I'm passionate about it, and I will try to convince you that you need to be on my side. And that's what people like feel like they be, they're being run over, and then when I hear that, I'm like, I <laughs> Yeah, what really? are you talking about? What are you talking yeah. about? Yeah, <laughs> How could you? But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I interrupted. Do tell us no, about yeah. your growing up. So I, um, like I said, I was born in Birmingham, Alabama, and I was raised in Chattanooga, Tennessee. 
and I'm my mother's only child. And so the way that that kind of came about is my mother and my father were uh, never married. And the reason they were never married is that when I was a baby, when I was just born, there was this intense fight between my mother and my father, which then led to my father um, pulling out a gun and shooting my mother in the arm. Mm. And so that happened as a small baby and my mom protected me and that ended that relationship. Fast forward to my upbringing, uh, my mother just, as it, as it, as it is, was not able to find really healthy male relationships, which then meant we were uh, in the room often with abusive men, neglective men, um, who were verbally and physically abusive. Mm. And so I grew up in this setting where um, verbally abuse, abused by older men, uh, um, physically with beatings and things of that nature. And so I think that all of that plays into me being the eight that I am. Wow. Wow. And so seeing my mother going through those relationships, myself living through those kind of uh, encounters only just cemented this, this eightness, I think, that that is right now. Mm-hmm. The, the reason that I get so riled up when someone is uh, receiving an injustice or being mistreated, like I can, I cannot, it, it is all, it is all within me to not physically try to in, you know, stop in a situation from happening. I'm just fascinated by that because I don't, I didn't know until just now that part of your story. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And you have an awful lot of space for people. Yeah. I, you know, I, like we've been hugging since way back. <laughs> so it's interesting to me that you, do, is, is there work that you did to be more trusting of other people? Oh, um, there's not, I, I, I cannot, so I, I never, when I was a child, never received any, you know, formal or uh, former counseling or uh-huh. anything like that. I think it was just finally coming in contact with healthy people mm-hmm. who loved me. And I was like, I could trust this person. And to this day, they have still been people that I can trust. And now that list is not long. Yeah. As we know with eights, like, we don't trust a ton of folks, right. and but the ones that are on that list for me have been on that list for a long time. Yeah, and yeah. So, and I think it's just I I really work hard at trying to let people in as much as I can, and every time I'm able to tell that piece of my story, uh. It loses some of its sting with me. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, that's one mm-hmm. of the gifts. And isn't it? so, yeah, it's a beautiful gift to to share that. And and I often like to whenever I do, whenever there's a round the robin of like telling your stories, I don't like to go first. I feel like it it brings a heaviness into the uh-huh. room. Mm-hmm. And once that heaviness is there, is you have to kind of yeah yeah deal with it. But um, yeah, I think that. Those upbringing experiences have shaped me. Mm-hmm. There's no way they they couldn't. That's wow. right. Yeah. 
We love the the Enneagram, or, and, and I do anyway. That I mean, and so does Suzanne, I think, and because of what it does for self awareness and self knowledge. Because everything under the the waterline of consciousness that we are unaware of owns us, right? right. And what the Enneagram does is it helps raise to consciousness um, those parts of our very singular biographies um, that have shaped us so that we can work with them mm? mm-hmm. and those aspects of our personalities that have been deeply affected by them. Um, now, you raised there a, a very historical moment in your life that clearly had some shaping uh, effect on your personality. I have an eight daughter. Suzanne has an eight daughter. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, mine was, I mean, was an eight from the moment she came out of the womb. I'm not kidding you. She just... She was so intense, you know, redhead. I mean, like, you know, I'm, I am telling you, there's something to the whole ginger thing. I'm not kidding. Um, you know, she, Suzanne, what about you? You're eight. Yeah, you know, Joey is an eight. She's 38 now. And lots of people who, uh, she lives where I live, so a lot of people encounter both of us. And they'll say to Joe and me, you, you raised a really fine daughter in Joey. And my response is, she pretty much raised herself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I um I, I want to kind of explore this with you a little bit in terms of your passion or your sin, which is anger. Your sin is an eight, not yours. Right. Um, how do you manage anger now? That's a that's a really good question. So I think for me, the way that I'm that I manage anger um, is. It goes back to that list of people and it goes back to having a friend that I'm able to speak freely and not be judged. And because of that, like that helps release the vow for me because there are definitely moments where I am angry at a situation, whether it's with a personal situation or with a work situation, like I need to be able to unleash that. And I need that person that I'm able to just sit with and just, just say whatever and however I want to say it. Um, And especially for someone who is in the ministry profession, you can't often just (laughs) say what you want to say and how you want to say it. So we have been really blessed today. We're, we do, by way of transparency to our audience, we do several podcasts in a row uh, here in Nashville in a day. And we just had Jeff Chu on, who was extraordinary. Um, six, mm-hmm. and uh, speaking about um, anxiety mm-hmm. um, we live, and what it's like to live in an age of, in, of intense anxiety. But I would also say that we live in an age of intense rage. Yeah. And and I'm just wondering, like, as an eight, man, like, how do you not live completely activated in the space of rage all the time? Because there's just so much of it on social media and yeah. on the news and everywhere. Yeah. I mean, and that's and that is so true. And I I couldn't count the the amount of times I have restrain myself from posting something on Facebook or responding to someone on Twitter or, or uh, just even in a group setting where someone has said something that is so outlandish and 
hurtful and wrong. That, like, so the the truth of the matter is, I think for me, and it may be true for a lot of eights, is that sometimes you're able to hold back, and sometimes you aren't, and sometimes that it just like you just, you can't stop it, and it just you just fires out there, and you say it, and it's out there, and you're like, well. It's out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said it. I wrote it. It's done. And and at the same time, what I think ends up happening for a lot of ace, especially for me, I'll speak just for me, is because I can't respond the way I want to respond to this random person or to this office setting or to this person online, is that it ends up spilling into potentially a relationship that is personal that I know that this person can handle the sparring. And so I may Mm -hmm. be a little bit more angrier. I may be more angry to a close friend than I would be to a stranger. Right. Because I have that, you know, I have that in the bank that we've been friends for five years or eight years or whatever. So I can maybe be a little bit more aggressive than I would be if I was just with you know, a a random member in the church or some person that I don't have a relationship with that's on online. Mm. And that's not good. <laughs> I'm not saying that's a good thing. That's just how it works out sometimes. Well, it's a safe thing. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to ask a complex question, okay. I think. Um, you are the only African-American on the church staff that you're on. Mm-hmm. You are um, an African-American male eight in a culture where there's free-floating anger everywhere right now. And we've just come through an election cycle where there has been a lot of talk about race relations. Yeah. Uh, How are you handling all that? It's heavy and it's hard. Um, My body is... It's all worked up all the time. Like my, like my gut, it's just it's just not it's not well. And um, so it's been really interesting with all this happening. Uh, there have been random people that will come up to me and just hug and say, "I'm sorry." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was even a woman in my in my in my complex I live in. She said, "If you just want to come over and have a glass of wine, just let me know. I'm so sorry." We're all mm. we're we're all not like that, right? And uh, she was a Caucasian woman. I was like, wow. Um, and I've been asked by a lot of folks, like how how I'm feeling, what am I thinking? And if anything, like I'm not angry. I'm I'm just really sad, and I'm confused. Um, because it's so much that the potential injustices that are are out there and that are already happening, it's just it's so much, and I don't see how everybody. I don't see how other people don't see it the way that I see it. Right. And it's like you're you say that you're a person that loves me and is a fan of me, yet this is how you are, you know reacting this is how you, this is what you're saying and 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 it's always interesting because 
and I don't want to go off on a tangent or anything, but you know, oftentimes people will talk about people even on welfare and even and around me. And it's, I understand that they probably have an assumption that I was not, that I don't know anything about that. That is a part of my story. Right. Mm-hmm. I was a person who was on free and reduced lunch. Right. Like that is now granted, I now work at a really beautiful church in the center of Brentwood, Tennessee. And I went to a predominantly white university of Lipscomb university. And sure. I don't, um, dress in a certain way or speak in a certain way, but I, I'm still very much a black man who is oftentimes in a room where I'm the only black man, black man. Yeah. And, and it's, um, and I guess like I've just learned over the years, like how to operate in this world. Cause I, it's survival. I got to survive. And I gotta pick and choose when I I am bold and when I say what I need to say and how I need to say it. So I pick I pick my battles now. Mm. Whereas when I was a teenager, there was no picking. There was just battles. Mm. Um, there was no there was no reining it in. There was just like verbally on like just annihilating people, and that was teachers. That was classmates. That was, I mean, that was any, any and everybody. Like it was all over the place. And, and it was when I grew up, that was a thing. Like you've got some anger issues. Mm. Well, you know, you could have just said, actually, I'm just an eight on the Enneagram. I'm just an eight. Yeah. That's right. That would been helpful at 15. Yeah. That would have been very helpful, I would guess. So yeah. um, you've mentioned the word body three times. In our, in our conversation so far. So it's, it's a little flag has gone up for me. That's really helpful. Um, you're in the, body triad, right? Eight, That's nines, right. and ones. And, um, you know, I, I'm reminded these days of how disembodied people are in general with screens in front of us all day and whatnot. And um, you just were talking about being in, what's it, what's the, what is that? I'm, I'm in, a, in the heart triad, you right. know, the feeling triad. Like, what's it like to be an eight in the body? You know, like, just not, like, what, what's that, in, what is it like to house that intensity? Oh man, I'm trying to think of a good, good way to describe it. Uh, have you uh, imagine being like? I almost want to say, like, really. It's a. It's almost like a a weird thing of being really full in the stomach. Like you had a really big meal. It's like oh, I just oh, my stomach feels weird. Mm-hmm. Or if you're really hungry and mm. you have that aching mm-hmm. in your body which like it's grumbling imagine that one of those kinds of feelings but when you hear things in and are in experiences like that's just what happens to your body mm. wow wow <laughs> like and it is it is it is weird and it is you can feel it and and when it and when it happens, you just know like there, there it is. I'm mm. feel I, I I am I'm holding it in right here, and um, and I think that too is you know whatever you know some some eights and a lot of eights have their their different vices that they cling to, and I think that's what helps with releasing whatever it is in the body because of there's so much tension and there's so much heaviness that we just hold 
hold in our bodies. Mm. That's fascinating. So that's I don't I don't know if that's the best way. I mean, that's your way, eights, man. That's yeah, great. other eights may may say it differently, but that's how it is for me. Mm. Thank yeah. you. I have a a friend who was in my first my second apprentice class, and his name is Christopher Mack. So I'm shouting out to him because he listens all the time. And uh, he's half Hispanic and half African American, and I. Um, I learn a lot from him. So this is a confession, apology, please teach me statement that's coming. But I um, said to him one day when I was dealing with a, a, a need to introduce somebody and not quite knowing how, <laughs> and I said to him, I, I need you to tell me the appropriate way to refer to her when I introduce her. I don't know if to use African-American. I don't know if to use black. I don't know what to say. And and he said, well, I can't help you because I'm half Hispanic. <laughs> and I didn't know that. I, I didn't even know that about right, him. Right. And, and I responded with, well, it doesn't show. <laughs> and then I, don't, I didn't know what to do that. And then finally we're in this conversation. And from the best place in my heart, I looked at him and said, I just don't see color. And he said, that's not helpful. Right. And you don't have that option. And so you need to not ever say that again. It's not an option. So don't be proud of yourself for it. So that was probably four years ago, maybe. And I've been trying to learn from that since. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like people who love you are trying to... Are tr Do you feel like they want to talk to you about being a person of color but don't know how? Do you feel like people are tiptoeing around that? Do you, as an eight, do you want people just to get with it and and stop being evasive? And do you know what I'm trying to oh, say? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think I probably have a combination of people in my life, some that get it and want to have the conversation often and understand that, like, I don't, I don't wear this skin by choice. Yeah. Like, this is, I don't get to take this off. Yeah. And choose to be another race. I don't I don't get that option. And none of us do, right? right? Um, and then there's some people who don't know how to start the conversation. You know, when uh, this summer happened, you know, in the what I call the craziest 4th of July week we've had in our country in a while, um, I had friends who just text me who didn't know what to say. They just sent a text message saying, you know, I'm praying and I, I, I just, I'm here, right? So I have friends who are that, um, as we say, woke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we have some, we have friends who are there, but then we have some friends who, who think they're being the most helpful by saying, I don't, I don't see color and um, I'm colorblind or um, I just love everybody. And it's just like, well, that's nice. Uh, I'll tell that to the, the, the store shop owner that is following me around exactly. because, because I'm, I'm black and, yeah. and I'm not dressed, you know, in a way that they, they, uh, think is suitable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's, I, this sort of raises a, a word for me, which is betrayal. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not a direct, uh, it's not a perfect analog to what you're saying, but it's in the zone of it, which is, you know, eight's struggle to uh, trust people. Yeah. Um, in fact, they, they 
fundamental. Usually, don't trust people until they they've proven themselves trust trustworthy. Oh yeah. Right? Um, I tend to trust people too fast. I mean, not you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm a little bit I'm naive actually, uh, and you know, I this betrayal theme in the life of a of an aide is pretty gigantic. Yeah. What, what what's been your experience with that? The fear of betrayal and how does it how has that worked itself out? Yeah, I, and and I think oftentimes, especially for me, because I I believe that I have a very big um, seven wing, for instance. Mm-hmm. So it may appear to a lot of folks that oh, like Patrick trusts me and and he's so kind and and all of this, right? Because of that seven, that kind of lightness that comes with that, that personality that comes with that. But the reality is that I don't trust you at all. Right. (laughs) I don't trust hardly anybody. Like, and I think that would, and some people who know me would be so shocked to know they, they asked me and really people ask you, do you trust me? You know, but if they did, I would have to tell them, no, not really. I, I might trust you with something, but I don't trust you with everything. And I think that's maybe what ends up happening for me as an eight is that I may trust you with this one thing. And it's almost like, okay, I'm trusting you with this thing. And we'll see about trusting you with other things mm-hmm. as time goes on. But know that it, if you break the trust of this one thing, like it's, it's over. done. Yeah, it's over. And, and for eight, like it's, for me, it's not like if you're, if you betrayed that trust, it's over. And, that's it. Like, I don't, I, I can move on and I don't really dwell on the past about that. I just, I just move on and I'll forget, I'll forget about you. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not even like I'm trying to be mean. It's just like, I've, I've, I've moved on. Um, you've broken that trust and, um, and I, I can't, I can't tolerate that. My, my, my body can't handle that because, um, and I think for me, a lot of times it's, you know, if I trust you with everything, um, I don't know how you're going to react to everything. So I have to only give you something, you know, only a little something because I'm, I'm, I'm too afraid that you're going to betray and leave. And then, you know, that be that. And mm-hmm. so I want to be in control of that kind of. Yeah. Great. So I, I'm thinking about your childhood and I'm thinking about how you described yourself as a 15 year old kind of uh, fighting with everybody, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. So now here's the new thing I want to do. Like you've heard me teach about going to the mall and rounding up all the kids that I thought might be fours on the Enneagram and all the goth kids back in the day, right? Yes. <laughs> so now I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about how often I have heard on the news young, angry, black men. And I now, and I don't... I don't know if you can help me set this up. I suspect not. (laughs) But now I want to have an opportunity to do some Enneagram work with a group of young black men who are angry because I think part of that was your eightness. Right. And it was misappropriated into a general grouping of people that denies personality difference. You think that's true? I do. Yeah. I do too. I do. Um, I think it's very true, and you know, and even in the the collective black community, like even this kind of work 
talking about the Enneagram or doing any kind of counseling or seeking any kind of help for the self and understanding the self is not welcomed by and large. Why? Um, Is it because it's so, is it because self-help is so white? I think so. I think it is such a, it's like, that's not for us. Yeah. We don't do that. And we don't have time to do that. We have time to work and survive and, you know, like there, you know, that whole, even to kind of size up a little bit, the whole talk of passion and vocation for someone in the black community, like that's not common language by and large. Sure. That happens in pockets Mm -hmm. that happens in, in definitely in pockets, but by and large people are like, no, you need to get a job and work. Mm-hmm. Cuz you've got to pay the bills and survive. Right. We have a long way to go, don't we? <laughs> yes. So, um you're a pastor of a mm-hmm. church, you're a very good pastor. I know that from our mutual friend Josh. Oh yeah. Um who I good know, man. but I want to know better than you. Oh, yeah. uh, but uh but love um have a great affection for and a great affection for your church too. Um so you know, spiritual transformation work. That's what the Enneagram is about. It's not just about knowing the features of your number right. and, and, you know, not doing anything with it. We would say that there, we all have a personality. Personality is good. Um, but we want to develop self-awareness that we might disidentify with those aspects of our personality that are now uh, in adulthood beginning to uh, limit us and, right. and 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 lead us into really self-defeating behaviors that worked as kids, got us through, right? Got right. you through as right. a kid, knowing yeah. your story. But, you know, there are pieces of it now, man, that are not working at times, right? right? Oh, and yeah. there are some that are. So I guess my question for you, knowing your pastor, is I'm going to quote a little scripture, which I never do because I don't know as much as I should. <laughs> um, Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. And as an Eight, who struggles probably with vulnerability. <laughs> How do you work with that in spiritual transformation? Oh man! Ah, uh, when you when that was quoted in the book, I was like, "Why did you have to use that?" <laughs> <laughs> because I, because apparently it's the only one I know. <laughs> I was like, oh man! Wasn't a lot to choose from. I, like, I knew, oh. and, and Jesus wept. I had that one yeah. too, but I just didn't think it was going to work. I could have used it for fours. You could. Oh, yeah. oh, that's true. Oh, yeah. Now I think of it. And oh. all the fours in Jesus wept. <laughs> no, it's so okay. The way in which I I think I show vulnerability and move into that space is it's a very intentional thing I have to do. Because I don't like to do it, I like to be strong. I like to, I like to be right, <laughs> and I like to know what I know. And so, um, I will often tell stories of when I was vulnerable. So I'll let people in. So I've I've let people into that story, a part of my of my upbringing, right, and of my family history. I don't, I, this apartment doesn't like that, but I know that I need to do that to be vulnerable, to be human. So I pick the things that I'm going to release out there because I, I don't like it. Hmm. I don't even like telling people 
that a family member is sick. Wow. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't like it. Cause I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't want you to know my business about my family, but I know that letting people in, that's, that's a part of, you know, being this complete person is that I've got to be vulnerable. I've oh, got God. to share. I got to share some of this because if I don't, I can become unrelatable, you know? And so it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's a very intentional thing. And I have to like, okay, this is the thing. This is how I'm going to share it. And this is what I'm going to share. Isn't it fascinating, Suzanne, how every number sees things so differently? Absolutely. Like, I don't know, about, I mean, but for me, I have to remind myself to not be so vulnerable. Me too. I have to remind myself, you know what? People don't really want to know that level of information, at least maybe in this stage of your relationship with them, um, about the depths of your experience, your heart. It's overwhelming to them in the same way that an eights might, uh, uh, you know, intensity might be overwhelming or... I, and for you to what, as a two, it's oh my gosh! I I flew from Dallas to Atlanta, to somewhere Greenville Spartanburg, in order to get to Asheville for us to do the workshop, and uh, we had the same flight attendant for two of the three legs. Well, by the time we land in in uh, Greenville Spartanburg, I know all about this woman, and I have her address because I'm going to send her our book and. Uh, her husband died, and she has three kids, and she's dating a guy that has three kids, but they don't parent the same, so they're not going to get married. I mean, I know everything there is to know. You're like a Hoover for other people's stories. I know just, the whole thing. I'm, I'm a little worried about her. I'm hoping she's okay. I'm worried how they're going to do Christmas. I, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. But I'm going to circle back and see what this does to you. Okay. What are you afraid of? Mm. <sighs> um. I'm afraid of, man, I'm, af- I'm, a, I'm afraid of people, um, I'm afraid of the people that I do trust um, don't, like, receive me back and don't love me back for whatever reason. Like, yeah. I, I'm afraid, um, and that's why that I think I choose to list very carefully because... I need those people to be my people. And so, um, yeah. Fascinating. And that's, yeah. But other than that, like there's not. Nothing. <laughs> not, other than not that, really nothing. <laughs> so our daughter, Joey, who's an eight, um, has this way of talking about her eightness. She says, um, mom, and she cups her hands and she says, I have this much warm and fuzzy. That's all I have every day. She's the dean of admissions and financial aid at a Catholic high school. And she says, you know, I save most of that for Billy, her husband, and our children, and my immediate family and really close friends. Beyond that, I don't, I don't have any more warm and fuzzy. Seems to me that being on a church staff requires more than a cupped handful of warm and fuzzy. That's right. Where do you get that? I get that through... I mean, I, I get that through... Um, me putting myself in situations like conferences and books and I've got to do some work to build up that. And so um, for me, for instance, I, this past Saturday I was in Chattanooga and spent the day with Rob Bell 
mm-hmm. at one of his how to be here, you know, things. That helps me do that, which is have a little bit more warm and fuzzy, a little bit more. Because I am, in some ways, I am glad to sit in front of someone and I love to sit in front of people and receive information about their life. Right. And for them to share with me about what's happening in their life and to help walk beside them as they try to navigate the different things in their life. Um, so in some ways I'm able to to do that and um, because then I'm not going to take what they've said to me and share it with anybody. Right. Like it's in there and it's, and it's locked away, you know? And so in, in that way, but it's like, it is true. Like how do I, and again, I think it's like with the vulnerability, it's, I've got to be intentional about it. You know, mm-hmm. I got to be intentional about, you know, hugging people and being okay to be hugged mm-hmm. and being okay for people, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a very, it's a decision that you have to make going into the room every day. Yeah. You know, I, I really appreciate this because I do think intentionality is one of the things we're really trying to teach, which is, Hey, you know, we got to wake up. Like we can't just live in in the, um, sort of the trance of our particular, you know, behaviors associated with our numbers. It's like, that's just banging guardrail to guardrail everywhere. You know, we got to make intentional decisions all the time. So, you know, one of the things I've been working on is stop explaining yourself so much. Like, don't talk too much. You talk too much, right? That's what fours do. And I'm like, dude, you know what? Shut up. Shut up and listen more. I'm not saying I'm successful at it yet, but I'm trying to think in very specific, number-specific ways spiritually, how do I begin to, you know, curb the excesses of the of my number and i heard a podcast on invisibilia the other day which is gosh that's oh, a great podcast man and the, there's a guy on it i'm sure you've heard about him and he he has a real fear of rejection so what he did is he he started going around every day he, he had a card and he would just go around and literally put himself in situations where he would be rejected so he would go up to someone like at a cvs and he would go would you give me a ride home to a complete stranger and they'd be like Absolutely not. And he'd be like, thank you. And then walk away. And he would just, I know it sounds crazy, but in a way that intentionality, you know, I kind of admire, like, Mm -hmm. like to be able to, like, I deal with shame. Annie and I were talking about this the other night. I deal with shame. When somebody criticizes me, you know, the picture of Lee Harvey Oswald when he's getting shot. That's what I feel like when I'm criticized. And I need to step into that and say, give people permission. Tell me the truth. I'm gonna. It's gonna feel like a bull, but the, but if you do it fifty times, maybe it'll feel half as bad eventually. So I thank you for yeah. for for modeling that idea. So thank you also most of all, first and foremost, for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. This has been fun, man. <laughs> so now that it. you've said you have to be intentional about people hugging you, I'm revisiting the fact that you were waiting. And you were on the sofa, and I sure did come up behind you and wrap my arms around you and kiss you on the top of that smooth, bald head of yours. <laughs> so I hope that was well-received. That was okay. well-received, Good, because yeah. I'm going to hug you goodbye. Yeah. I, hugged, I knew, I I knew coming good. in the room, I knew that was. I knew a hug was coming. So. <laughs> did you brace yourself? I feel like people brace themselves for me. Like, here she comes. <laughs> oh, it's good. It's good. I, I hugged you, but I didn't kiss the... the that's right. Yeah, I didn't. I just didn't think that was. I don't. I don't think we're ready for that. Yet. Not ready for you that. Yeah, I know most people want to do that, but, uh, <laughs> and some just can't help themselves. They just they just have to touch my bald head and like, okay, 
It's fine. Yeah. Well, ma'am, we're what you so need to delighted do. to have you. Well, and thank you. All of you out there, we've we've just had a great great time learning about AIDS, and we hope that it was helpful for you and helped you grow in compassion and understanding and empathy for that cohort of people in the world that we 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 so desperately need all that energy. Absolutely. I'm so thankful for opportunities to have conversations that have integrity and honesty. And thank you for all the space, all the space. You're thank just you. a great guy. Thanks. See you later, everybody. Bye now. You've been listening to The Road Back to You, looking at life through the lens of the Enneagram, produced by Jim Chafee, and our engineer is Brad Bass. Our theme music is provided by the band Waterdeep from their album Moment, written by Lori Chaffer. Please visit our website, www.theroadbacktoyou.com, for news, more podcasts, and a list of our public appearances around the country. And you can pre-order our book, The Road Back to You, An Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery, at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. And listen up, people. You don't want to miss our show next week. My good friend... And three on the Enneagram, Dr. Jim Danaher will be with us. He's a philosopher and an author. And so you better put on your big boy and big girl smart pants because it's going to be a good one. See you later. 